0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 10, and we started last week this series called Drop Dead, and we are going through and looking at uh, some of the stories in the Bible of uh, individuals that God dropped dead, that God struck dead, and we're just kind of learning about what happened there and why God did it. Last week, we started with Onan, if you remember him in the book of Genesis. And today we are looking at Leviticus chapter 10, and we're looking at the very well known story of Nadab and Abihu. And I'll uh, spend a few minutes kind of explaining this to you, and then we'll spend the rest of the sermon just applying it. But if you look at Leviticus 10 and verse 1, the Bible says this And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein. Now, there are some things that are not mentioned here that you need to understand. And the point is this, that in the tabernacle, they were supposed to have fire that they would use for uh, the censers, that they would use for the sacrifices. And the whole point was this, that that fire was provided by God. God himself provided that fire. And that fire, they were supposed to not let that fire go out. In fact, let's just look at some verses real quickly. Just, you're there in Leviticus 10, just flip back one page to Leviticus chapter 9, and look at verse number 24. Now, in Leviticus 9, we actually have the tabernacle being ordained and the glory of the Lord coming into the tabernacle. The tabernacle is being dedicated to God. And I want you to notice that when the tabernacle was dedicated to God, this happened with Moses' tabernacle. It also happened with Solomon's temple. It's interesting because the next time we're in Ezekiel, we're going to see this with Ezekiel's temple as well that God actually sends fire down from heaven to show his approval, to show that his hand is in this and he is for this. Notice Leviticus 9.24, the Bible says, And there came a fire out from before the Lord, and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw... They shouted and fell on their faces. So notice they had this burnt offering and God actually lit the fire. It's similar also to Elijah when Elijah did that sacrifice and fire came down uh, from heaven. And this is what happened when the tabernacle was established, God's fire came down, and then they were supposed to keep that fire lit, they were supposed to use that fire in order to do all of their sacrifices, to do all of their incense, but here we're told that Nadab and Abihu, who were supposed to be working as priests, were supposed to be caring for these things, they've already let the fire go out, and the Bible says here that they took, uh, if, you, if you look back at Leviticus 10.1, that they took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord. Now that word is strange there, it doesn't mean the same thing like when we think of a uh, uh, strange, we think of someone being like weird or odd. But the word strange there means foreigner. Like in the Bible, you'll often read of the stranger. And it's someone who's a foreigner. And here the Bible tells us that they offered foreign fire. They offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord. So notice, they bring in foreign fire. Fire that did not come from God. Fire, the fire from God went out. They were supposed to keep it burning. So they go out and they just get fire from somewhere else. They put fire on their incense and they offer that strange fire before the Lord. And God is not pleased with this at all. God is very upset with this. And in fact, the Bible says that there went out fire from the Lord, just like there went out fire that uh, that that went out. Uh, in Leviticus 9, in order to burn up the sacrifice, now there comes fire from the Lord. Notice what it says, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. So God actually sends fire down and burns them up and kills them because they offered strange fire, because they offered foreign fire. Now you say, well, what's the big deal about this strange fire? And here's what you need to understand about the strange fire, and here's what it, what it, what, what it uh, symbolizes, or here's what it represents. Strange fire is what we offer God when we offer God or when we approach God with what He has not provided. See, God provided fire for the sacrifice. God provided fire that was to be used in the tabernacle. They let the fire go out, so then they bring in foreign fire. They bring in fire from somewhere else, and they say, well, we'll just approach God, and we will just, you know, give to God fire which He has not provided, strange fire Foreign fire, but God says, No, that is not acceptable. That's unacceptable. So I want you to notice that strange fire. When we're talking about strange fire, because tonight, we're going to talk about how modern churches, and when I say modern churches, I mean that in the, in the sense that uh, in modern days or contemporary days, but I also mean it in the sense of liberal churches, how churches today are still offering strange fire unto the Lord. I'm going to give you some uh, three very specific areas in which we do that, but when we use that term, I want to define it for you. When we talk about strange fire, we're talking about approaching God and offering Him something that He did not provide. Offering Him something that came from a different source. Offering Him something that was not provided by God. So strange fire is when we approach God with something that He did not provide. But I want you to notice, secondly, also strange fire is when we approach God with something that He did not command. So it's something that was not provided by God, and something that was not commanded by God. Notice verse 1 again, Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange or foreign fire before the Lord, notice what the Bible says, which he, the he there is referring to the Lord, which he commanded them not. See, God did not command them to just go get fire from wherever and just bring it to him. That is not what he commanded them. He commanded them to just keep the fire of the Lord burning. So strange fire is when we approach God with what he has not provided. And strange fire is when we approach God with what he has not commanded. Now, you're there in Leviticus 10. Go back to Exodus chapter 30. Let me show you uh, kind of another passage in regards to this. And I want you to notice that they had already been commanded. So, you, you know, it's not like God is just being mean to Nadab and Abihu. They had already been commanded by God that they were not to bring strange fire before the Lord. Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse 9. Exodus 30 and verse 9, the Bible says this, And ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering therein. I want you to notice that they were already told, when you bring incense, when you bring fire, when you bring, he said, don't bring anything foreign, don't bring anything strange. Here's what God is saying. I have provided the fire. You use the fire I've already provided. And the Bible here calls strange fire what God has not provided and calls strange fire what God has not provided commanded now go to john uh chapter number four and let me just show you one verse real quick and then we'll kind of get into the application tonight you say why did nadab and Abihu die?" they died because they approached god with what god had not provided and they approached god with what god had not commanded and here's what you need to understand god is a holy god And we need to be careful how we approach Him in a form of worship and how we approach Him in a form of reverence. John chapter 4, notice verse number 23. Notice what Jesus says here to the woman at the well. John chapter 4 and verse 23, the Bible says this, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers... Notice, if there's true worshipers then there must also be false worshipers. If he's saying there are some people who worship God in truth, then there are some people who worship God in uh, deceit or in falsehood or in lie. He says, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father, notice what he says, in spirit and in truth. He says, the true worshiper will not only worship God in spirit, but he'll also worship God in in truth. He'll not only do it with his spirit and in a spiritual way, but he'll also make sure that he does it right, that he does it correctly, that he does it honestly, that he does it with integrity, that it is done in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So who is the Father seeking to worship him? He is seeking those that would worship him in spirit and truth. Why is it that God killed Ananias, uh, not Ananias, that's a different sermon, Uh, Nadab and Abihu. Why is it that God killed Nadab and Abihu? Here's why. Because they approached God with what God had not provided and they approached God with what God had not commanded. Now, they literally approached God with strange fire, foreign fire. God literally gave them a source of fire They let that fire go out. They went somewhere else. They got fire from somewhere else. They went to another fire. They started their own fire. They brought the fire. But God was so serious about this that he sent fire from heaven to kill them and to devour them. So when we talk about strange fire, we're talking about approaching God, worshiping God, honoring God with that which he has not provided and with that which he has not commanded. Now, go to Galatians chapter number one. You're there in uh, John She's going to go Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd, Corinthians, Galatians. And let me just apply this to you tonight because there are three major areas as far as I can see and tell. and Maybe there are more that I'm not thinking about or missing, but there are three major areas that I can look today at the landscape of Christianity, you know, and of course that's Christianity so-called, because there's many things out there that call themselves Christians that are not. But we can look at the landscape of Christianity, of religion, of spirituality, and I can see kind of some strange fire that's being offered to God today, some strange fire that's being offered to God. He did not provide it. He did not command it. He does not honor it. He does not want it. But yet it's being offered to Him. And these are areas that we, as New Testament Christians, need to be aware of. We need to be able to identify it and say, no, 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 that's strange fire. That is not what God wants. You say, well, what are the areas? Well, number one, if you'd like to write these down, counterfeit gospels are strange fire. Counterfeit gospels are strange fire. Because remember, what is a strange fire? It is something that God has not provided, and it is something that God has not commanded. And today, there are counterfeit gospels out there False gospels they didn't come from the Bible, they didn't come from God, God did not provide them, God did not command them, and yet you've got millions of people attempting to approach God with a false gospel, and I'm here to tell you that it will not be accepted by God. Galatians 1, look at verse number 6, notice what the Bible says. Galatians one chapter six, the Bible says this: I marvel that ye are so soon removed. This is Paul speaking to the church in Galatia, and he's talking to people that are saved, but they've been duped, and they've been uh, uh, they've misunderstood, or they 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 they've been uh, uh, misguided a little bit. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. Notice what he says: unto another gospel. I want you to notice today people think like, oh, the gospel is just the gospel. No, he, here we're told that there's another gospel. You say, well, what's that other gospel? Notice verse 7, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. See, he says, there's the gospel of Christ, there's the true gospel, the message of salvation, that salvation is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that by simply believing in Christ, you can be saved. And then there are those who have perverted it and turned it into another gospel. See, there's a fire that God provided. It's called the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's a strange fire out there that people are trying to push upon on society, but it's strange fire. God didn't provide it. God didn't like it. And look, and I realize that you you know this, and we're here on a Sunday night, but it's good to be refreshed on some of these things, and it's good for us to just remember what we've already learned. You're there in Galatians. Keep your finger there. We're going to come right back to it. Go to Romans chapter number 11. You're there in Galatians. Just go back. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans Romans chapter number 11. What are these strange fire gospels? What are these counterfeit false gospels we're talking about? Well, the first one, very simply, is the gospel that adds works to salvation. Now look, there, this is so clear in the Bible. The fact that people believe that you have to add words to salvation is just so ridiculous. There's so many <laughs> verses that we could go to, but let's just go to one just to prove it to you, because here's what, here's what people will say, the adding works to salvation crowd. They'll try to tell you, they'll say, uh, even even Roman Catholics, I mean, even just basic work-your-way-to-heaven people, they'll say, you'll tell them, oh, you believe in a work salvation, and they'll say, no, 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 no. We don't believe in works. We believe in faith, but you also must have works. So they'll say, we don't believe in just working your way there. You have to have faith, but you also have to have works. Or you've got some people that'll say, well, you don't have to have works to be saved, but if you really do get saved, there'll be some works. Here's the problem with that. The problem is that the Bible teaches very clearly that with salvation, you cannot add works in any way, shape, or form to the gospel. Romans chapter 11, look at verse number 6. Now, here's what James said. The gospel salvation is by grace, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible tells us that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, see, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. See, salvation by definition is a gift, and a gift by definition is free. And when the Bible uses the word grace, that's what the word grace means. The theological term, if you want to write this down, is unmerited favor. It's favor bestowed upon you that you did not earn, that you did not deserve. But if you want to just use a layman's term, it just means free. Grace means Free. Grace means you get it for free. It's a gift. Often when I'm out soul I'll use these this idea or this illustration and I'll tell somebody, you know, you've heard of a grace period, right? Maybe you've got a grace period on your home here and the uh, mortgage is due on the first or the rent's due on the first. They give you till the fifth to pay it. They call that a grace period. What is that? It's just free time. Why? Because grace means free. That's what it means. Romans 11, verse 6 says this. And if by grace, now please understand, when you see the word grace there, it means free it means unearned. It means I didn't earn it. I didn't pay for it. I didn't do anything. It was given to me. He says, and if by grace, then there's no more of works. Now the word works there is referring to earning something, working for something. Because when you work for something, you're earning it. You go to work. Your boss gives you a paycheck. He's not giving you a gift. You would be offended if you worked all week long for your boss and he walks up to you and said, hey, I just wanted to give you a free gift and gives you your paycheck. That's not a gift. You earned it. You worked for it. You put labor into uh, getting that. And here's what he says. Here's what God is saying. If salvation, Romans eleven six, 6, if it's by grace, and if by grace, he says, then it is no more works. Here's what he's saying. If it's free, you can't earn it. If it's free, you can't work for it otherwise, here's what he's saying, if you could earn it, if you could work for it, he says, otherwise, grace is no more grace. Here's what he's saying, if you can pay for it, then it's not free. If you have to work for it, oh, we believe in salvation by grace, but you also have to have works. I mean, faith without works is dead, right? Here's the problem with that. If you have to work for it, then it's not free. He says, look, if it be no more of works, otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works... Then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Here's what he's saying. You can't, you can't mix the two. It's either free or it's not. You either get it for free or you earn it. But you can't say, well, I got it for free and I earned it a little bit. He says, look, if you, if you work for it, then it's no more grace. And if, you, uh, and if, if it's grace, then it's no more works. So the adding works to salvation, I'm here to tell you, that is a strange fire. That is a counterfeit gospel that is being, and here's what you need to understand, that gospel will not stand, and that gospel will not be accepted by God. But there's another one, the repent of your sins gospel. And look, these are all the same, they just go, this is the same heresy, just a different name. The repent of your sins gospel says, well, you don't have to work for it, but you have to repent of your sins in order to be saved. Let me just give you one verse. You go to Romans 10, 9, but let me give you this, Jonah three ten. the Bible says this, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. The word repent means to turn. When it's in reference to salvation, actual repenting in, in regards to salvation, it means to turn or to change your mind, to go from unbelief to belief, to go from you believing in the wrong thing, trusting in the wrong thing, to believing and trusting in the right thing. But when we're talking about repenting of your sin, we're talking about sin, it's actually turning away from sin. Here's a problem. God calls that works. He said, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. When they turned from their evil way, God said, that's works. So if you tell people you got to repent of your sins in order to be saved, you just added works to salvation. You just perverted the gospel of Christ. That's a counterfeit False, strange fire gospel. Let me give you another one. How about the gospel of lordship salvation? Romans 10, 9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth The Lord Jesus. Now our King James Bible says to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. But did you know that the modern Bible versions, and we're going to talk a little bit about the modern Bible versions tonight, the modern Bible versions all change this to say it doesn't say confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, but it says confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now you think, well, what's the big deal? They just kind of change the order of the words. But when you change the order of the word, you change the whole meaning. Before, you're believing on Jesus Christ and confessing the word, the term Lord there was a title. It's like if somebody said, hey, you need to go and confess to, you know, brother so-and-so or Mr. so-and-so. is just telling you that's who you need to confess to. That's who you need to call upon. And by the way, that's why we believe in calling upon uh, uh, the Lord for salvation. People get this idea where, well, we don't have to pray for people to get saved. Well, look, you don't. You, you just tell me that you believe. Well, I can't save you. You got to tell God that. Amen. You got to call upon Him. You got to confess to the Lord Jesus that you're a sinner in need of salvation and you need Him to save you. But if I said, hey, you need to go ask brother so-and-so and he'll give you the gift, that's different than me saying, you need to tell me that so-and-so is your brother. You understand that's, a little, that's different? And as soon as you change that term and you say, oh, you know, you have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's lordship salvation. That means I've got to make him the Lord of my life. Now look, Jesus is Lord whether you like it or not. Right. Jesus is Lord whether you admit it or not. Yeah. Jesus is Lord whether you live your life like he is or not. But when you tell people that you have to make him the Lord of your life, which is the gospel preached by almost every Southern Baptist out there, Many Southern Baptists and and just normal Baptists uh, teach and preach this. When you tell people you have to make Jesus Lord of your life, you're saying you need to make Him the boss of your life. Well, guess what? If He's the Lord of your life, then He's going to be in charge, and you're going to have to repent of a lot of sins and quit a lot of sins. And and these are all just sly ways of adding works to salvation. And here's all I'm telling you. It is a counterfeit gospel. It is a strange fire because when we approach God, we must approach God with what he has provided and with what he has commanded. And he has not commanded a plus works salvation. He has not commanded a repent of your sins salvation. He has not commanded a lordship salvation. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. And I want you to notice because remember, Nadab and Abihu, they brought strange fire. How did it go for them? they were consumed with the fire. God consumed them with the fire of his wrath because he said, that is not the fire I provided. That is not what I commanded. You say, well, how will it go for those who bring a strange fire of a false gospel to Jesus? Galatians 1.8, notice what Paul says. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which he have preached that we have preached unto you. Notice what he says. He says, let him be accursed. The word accursed there means to be damned. He's literally just saying, let him go to hell. And he's not saying it like, like he's just cursing it, like go to hell. He, he's actually saying, let them be damned. Let them be accursed. You say, why? Because another gospel will not save you. Another gospel will not get you into heaven. Another gospel will land you in hell because God does not accept strange fire. And when we approach God, we must approach God with what he has provided and we must approach God in how he has commanded. Look at verse nine. And we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. He says, let him be accursed. He says, God will not accept it. And you find this all throughout the Bible. Let me show you a couple of examples. Go to Genesis chapter 4. First book in the Bible. Should be fairly easy to find. Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis 4, we find early in Scripture, people already trying to bring a false way, a false belief to God. Genesis 4.3, notice what the Bible says. This is a famous story of Cain and Abel. Genesis 4.3 says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So Cain and Abel are bringing an offering to the Lord. And Cain brings of the fruit of the ground. Now, he was a farmer. He was working in the garden. He was working on the ground. So he brings to God that which was the fruit of his labor. He brings the fruit of the ground, and this pictures labor or work. He brings an offering unto the Lord. Notice verse 4. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of a flock. What does Abel bring? He brings a sacrificed lamb, which pictures, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you've got two offerings being brought to God here. One represents labor and work. The other one represents sacrifice and the shedding of blood. And notice how God responds to it. Verse 4. And Abel, he brought also the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Notice what the Bible says. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how sincere, it doesn't matter how kind, it doesn't matter how religious. When people approach God with a false gospel, he will not respect it. He will not accept it. Now, this is an illustration of what will literally happen at on the day of judgment. Let's look at that, Matthew chapter 7. We're going from the first book in the Old Testament to the first book in the New Testament. It should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 22. Matthew, what you say, what does this look like? Someone bringing a false gospel before the Lord. Someone bringing a false belief system before the Lord. Someone bringing strange fire before the Lord. What does it look like? Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 22. Matthew 7, 22, the Bible says, many, this is what Jesus says, many will say to me in that day. Now the day he's referring to is the day of judgment. I, I personally think he's talking about the great white throne. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Notice that these are religious people. These are even people that were in ministry. They're saying, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we preach in your name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have have done many wonderful works. Notice verse 23. Does God accept, or does he have no respect for their offering? and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You say, why? Because here's, here's, the, here's the point. Counterfeit Gospels, counterfeit Gospels are strange fire, and counterfeit Gospels will not be accepted. God did not accept foreign fire, literal fire, from Nadab and Abihu, and God will not accept a Strange fire of a false gospel, and these people. And you say, "Well, how do you know that these people? Uh, how do you know that these people aren't saved?" Well, look for the same reasons that we ask people questions. Right when we go out soul winning, don't we ask people, "Hey, do you know for sure if you died today, are you on your way to heaven?" And if somebody says, "I'm not sure," then we don't ask any more questions. We just say, "Well, look, the Bible says you can be 100 percent sure you're on your way to heaven." It has nothing to do with how good of a person you are, what religion you are. I can just take a few minutes and show you how you can know for sure Would you be interested in seeing it. But what if the person says, uh, yeah, you know, hey, do you know for sure if you Are you on your way to heaven? Yeah, I think I'm on my way to heaven. Then what's the next question we ask? We ask, well, what gives you that confidence? What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? You say, why do you ask those questions? Here's why. Because that question, what is it that you're trusting in, that will let us know what they believe. Because when you ask somebody, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? And they say, well, I prophesied and I've cast out devils and I've done many wonderful works. You say, how do you know these people weren't saved? Here's how I know. Because if I'm standing at the judgment, at the great white throne, judgment of God, and God is asking me and saying, why should I not send you to hell? Why should I let you into heaven? The last thing I'm going to say is works. You know what I'm going to say? I believed on Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins and I put my trust in him. That's why you should give me eternal life. See, a saved person, the, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. See, so how do you know these guys aren't saved? Because they're saying the wrong thing. These are, this is the same pastor and youth pastor. You knock on their door. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Oh, well, you know, I've cast out devils and done many wonderful works. And you know what? That is a false gospel. That is a foreign gospel. And you know what they're going to hear on the day of judgment? I never knew you. It's not that you were saved and you lost it. No, you were never saved. And this is unacceptable. And look, you say, well, why why do we need to be uh, squared away on this? Here's why. Because look, when you're out soul winning, you better be clear. Because there's people out there that will just, they'll just say whatever. They'll just go with whatever. They'll just say, and they'll say, oh yeah, it's faith, it's faith, believe, oh yeah, Sure. You better make sure that you're actually being thorough and you're asking questions. You're not being rude, but you're making sure they understand why. Because the devil wants to bring in a strange fire of a counterfeit gospel. That sounds a lot like true salvation, except for the fact that they're adding works to it. By the way, how about this one? The false gospel of losing your salvation. If you you believe that you can lose your salvation, you're not saved. You say, oh, how how can that be? Here's why. Because it goes back to what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Christ to save you? Or are you trusting in yourself? Well, I'm saved as long as I don't kill myself. Well, then it sounds like you're basing your salvation on you. As long as you don't. As long as I stay with it. As long as I stay in church. As long as I don't rob a bank. As long as, look, what are you trusting? And these are false gospels. And today, there are many Nadavs and Abihu's who are approaching God with strange fire, a false gospel that he did not command, that he did not provide. You know the gospel that God provided? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's believing on him alone. It's, uh, it's tr- understanding that I can't earn it. I can't save myself. I am a sinner, condemned to hell. There is nothing I can do to save myself. And I must simply believe on Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you kept your place there in Galatians, Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're talking about strange fire. Say, so why would we why do we care about strange fire? Well, it got Nadab and Abihu killed. It's interesting because they brought, they gave, they brought strange fire, and then God sends his fire to consume them. And you know, everyone who brings strange the strange fire of the false gospel to God, God is going to send fire to consume them. God is going to destroy them in his fire. Because it is a corrupt gospel so we're talking about the strange fire number one what what are the strange fires that are prevalent today around, among religious circles well one is the counterfeit gospel it's a strange fire any gospel that adds salvation adds works to salvation that tries to remove complete faith in jesus christ it is a counterfeit gospel but number two let me give you a second one not only do we have the counterfeit gospels are a strange fire but also this the corrupt bible versions are a strange fire You know that there are corrupt Bible versions out there, and I realize I'm preaching to the choir. But today, people think like, oh, anything that says Holy Bible must be good. I would say the vast majority of books that say Holy Bible are not good. There is a such thing as corrupted Bible versions. Go to 2 Corinthians 2, 17, or if you're there, look at verse 17 of chapter 2. Even at the time of Paul... There were already corrupted Bible versions. Notice what he says, 2 Corinthians two seventeen. For we are not as many. He says, we are not as many. He says, there, are, there is a lot of people out there, notice, which corrupt the word of God. But uh, as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Even during the time of Paul, during the first century, he says that there were many that were corrupting the word of God. And you know what? Today, there are still many who are corrupting the word of God. Go to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. And, and we need, and look, modern Bible versions, corrupted Bible versions, I don't have time to go into all the details about it. If, you, if you're not sure what we're talking about when I'm talking about modern Bible versions, here at Verity Baptist Church, we believe the King James Bible is the inspired and preserved word of God. And if that doesn't make sense to you or you're not sure what that means, we've got a documentary out there called New World Order New World Order Bible versions that explains it. I preached a three-part series not that long ago called A More Sure Word where we went through, spent three weeks, and thoroughly talked about it and looked at it. And I'd encourage you to look up those resources and, and read about it. But here's what you need to understand. The Bible tells us that it, there is an inspired and preserved Word of God. Psalm 12 and verse 6 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words. The word pure there means that they are inspired. They're clean. They're the opposite of being corrupted. He says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. So notice, in Psalm 12, 6, we have the doctrine of inspiration. God inspired His words, and they are pure. They are clean. They are without corruption. In verse 7, we have the doctrine of preservation. Thou shalt keep them O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, here's what we believe. We believe that every language could have the inspired and preserved Word of God in that language, because God created languages. God can preserve it, and God can use men to bring uh, those those Bibles into existence and to preserve them and all that. And, And here's what we're saying. In English, we believe that the King James Bible is God's perfect, inspired, pure, and preserved word. Go to Matthew chapter number 4. But while you go there, let me just say this, and again, I don't have time to go into all the details and all all the things, but let me just say this. The modern Bible versions... There's a lot of problems with the modern Bible versions. And if you've been with us when we've studied this out, you know we've we brought up all the Bibles and compared them and looked at verses and looked at things. I'm not going to do that tonight. But let me just tell you this. The modern Bible versions today have omitted 16 complete verses from the New Testament. Now, it's worse than that because they've omitted all sorts of words and phrases out of many verses where you couldn't say that the entire verse has been omitted but like half of the verse was omitted. And when you go through and just omit half of this verse, half of that verse, a whole section of this verse, a whole sentence of this verse, eventually that adds up to way more than 16 uh, omitted verses. But there are just 16 complete verses in the Bible. If you've got an NIV in your hand, or an ESV, or an American Standard, or a New King James, you know, one of those modern Bible versions where a lot of these verses are going to be missing, let me just... Read these to you. I don't have time to have you turn to them, and you don't need to. But here are sixteen verses that are just completely gone from modern Bible versions. Matthew seventeen twenty one. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. This is a passage where we are told that the way that sometimes the devil attacks us with such strength that there's no way for us to beat him unless we give ourselves to prayer and fasting. And that's kind of the key that unlocks the ability to be able to cast out devils that maybe we couldn't cast out before or have victory over devils. I wonder why he would remove that verse. Maybe he doesn't want you to know that you need to be fasting and praying so that you can overcome the wicked one. But he this this verse is just gone from modern Bible versions. How be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. How about this one? For the for the Son of Man is not come to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man, excuse me, is come to save that which was lost. That verse is gone. I, I wonder if that's why all these churches that use modern Bible versions, none of them go soul winning. None of them do any sort of evangelistic, trying to reach people, confront people with the gospel. Well, look, in their Bibles, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost, that's gone. Uh, Here's another one, Matthew 23, 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. A verse where he's damning religious people that aren't saved, that's gone. I wonder why that one's left. Mark seven sixteen. And some of these are, are 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 you know deal with doctrine, some of them don't. Mark seven sixteen, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear, that's gone. You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Look, it's God's word. Every word of God is pure, and look, you shouldn't mess with the word of God. And the Bible says, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. In Mark 7:16, unless you got an NIV or an ESV. How about Numbers 5 and Number 6? are both the same verse in two different places. Mark nine forty four, Mark nine forty six both say, Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, and both of those verses have been removed from the modern Bible versions. Two verses about hell. I wonder why that one was removed. Mark eleven twenty six. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Mark fifteen twenty eight. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And he was numbered with those transgressors. This is a verse that is actually is proving a prophecy fulfilled of the Lord Jesus Christ. Removed. Luke seventeen thirty six. Two men shall be in the field; the one shall be taken and the other left. John five. Three through four. Now, verse four is what's completely removed. For an angel went down at a certain season of the pool of and, and troubled the waters. Uh, whosoever then first, after the troubling of waters, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. But also the, fir- the the last part of verse three, waiting for the moving of the water, the last part of verse three and all of verse four was removed. Acts eight thirty seven. When you've got the the the, the eunuch. Asking, what does hinder me to be baptized? He's asking, what's stopping me from getting baptized? You've got the question in verse 36. you got them getting baptized in verse 38. But verse 37, the answer, he's asking, what's hindering me from getting baptized? Acts 8.37, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Gone. wonder why they would remove that. Acts fifteen thirty four. Notwithstanding, it please Silas to abide there. Still gone. Acts twenty four verses six through eight. The fir- the last part of verse six all of verse 7, and the first part of verse 8, gone. It says this, and would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain Lysias came upon us, and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee. Acts 28, 29, and we had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning, arguing among themselves, gone. Romans 16, 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be, be with you all, amen, gone. First John 5, 7, and 8, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are gone, and, uh, and these three are one that's gone and there are three that bear witness in earth that little part is gone as well probably the greatest verse on the trinity gone from modern bible versions you say what's the big deal well here's the big deal Matthew 4 4 are you there Jesus said but he answered and said it is written now he says it's written because he's quoting the old testament he says man shall not live by bread alone Notice what he says but by every thought. Is that what he says? But by every idea. Is that what it says? No, he says, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, Jesus had this idea that you could have a Bible that had every word of God in it. He had this thought that you could have Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And he said, hey, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know what we need? We need an every word Bible. You know what the NIV is not? It's not an every word Bible when 16 verses are missing. It's not an every word Bible when there's just full sections of other verses missing. It's not in every word Bible when the verses that are left, they've got all these little notes at the bottom saying, well, we're not really sure if that verse is really accurate or that verse, and just casting doubt upon the Word of God. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Corrupt Bible versions are strange fire. God did not provide them. God did not command them. And when we approach God with an NIV, He's not happy. When we approach God with an ESV, He's not, he's not accepting it. He said, he said, You brought that from a different source. He right. said, well, well, why do we need to be. What, Pastor, we all know that. We've all watched the New World Order Bible You know why we need to know that? Because some of you will get backslidden and, and leave this church. And you know what? It's fine. If you don't like me or you don't like my wife or you don't like the staff or we did something to offend you, you don't have to come to this church. You know that you can actually. You know, one of these days, I'm going to preach a sermon called How to Leave a Church. Because you know that you can actually leave a church and still be right with God? You know that you can leave a church in a way where you say, you know what, I don't, Pastor, I don't like you. You're ugly and you're short. You're not funny or whatever. And, and I'm just going to go somewhere else. And you know that you can just go somewhere and you know that you can go to another church and just be a blessing there? You don't have to get backslidden. But you know, people will leave a church like Verity Baptist Church and then they'll just go to some NIV church. Or they'll go to some ESV church. Or they'll go to some new King James church and it's like, what in the world? How in the world do you leave here and go there? Look, you need to just be assured of the fact that modern, corrupt Bible versions are a strange fire. They were not provided by God. They were not commanded by God. Counterfeit gospels are a strange fire. Corrupt Bible versions are a strange fire. Let me give you a third one. We'll finish up. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. If you kept your place in Galatians, just right after Galatians, you got Ephesians. We're talking about a strange fire. Remember, what's strange fire? It wasn't provided by God. It wasn't commanded by God. It's something we use to approach God, but it didn't come from God. Counterfeit gospels are a strange fire. Corrupt Bible verses are a strange fire. Here's the third one. Contemporary Christian music is a strange fire. Contemporary Christian music did not come from God. It's not commanded by God, and it's not pleasing to God. Let me just give you a few statements about music, and I don't want to get into all sorts of detail about music. I preach entire sermons about music and our stance on music. But let me just say this. Music is spiritual. Whether bad or good, it's all spiritual. Whether it's the spirit of God or the spirit of Satan, music, you need to understand this, music is spiritual. Ephesians 5.18 says this, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess... But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Here we're told that we ought to sing spiritual. Songs. You say, why? Because music is spiritual. Colossians 3.16, if, you, if you'd like to go there, just you got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So music is spiritual. The nature of music is spiritual. Whether it's good or bad, it's all spiritual. Whether it's a good spirit or a bad spirit, it's all spiritual. And I don't have time to go to Ezekiel 28 and show you how Satan is a musical being. But music is spiritual. And here's what you need. Maybe we will go to Ezekiel 28. I don't know. But go go to Psalm 22. I'll I'll decide in a minute. Go to Psalm 22. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you are more likely to find the book of Psalms. Psalm 22. Understand this. Music is spiritual. And understand this, God inhabits the music of his people. When God's people direct their praises and their worship through music to him, the Bible says that God actually inhabits that music. (laughs) Psalm 22, verse 2. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, uh, uh, and am not silent. Notice verse 3 but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Notice that God's holiness is mentioned, and the fact that that holy God actually inhabits the praises of his people. So, music is spiritual, whether good or bad, it's spiritual, and God loves music to the point where he actually inhabits. The Bible says that, that, that oh, thou inhabitest the praises of Israel. When we sing to God, God inhabits that. You say, how does the God... Well, the Holy Spirit of God is inside of you. You're being filled with the Spirit when you're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're directing that praise to God. And God is receiving that praise and he inhabits that music. And you need to understand this. Go to 1 John 2. I'm giving you some, kind of just some things to understand. I could preach the whole thing on music, and I'm not going to now, but maybe another day, go to 1st John chapter 2. If you started the book of Revelation and head back, you've got Revelation, Jude, 3rd John, 2nd John, 1st John. Revelation, Jude, 3rd John, 2nd John, 3rd John. Music is spiritual. Whether good or bad, it's spiritual. God inhabits the music of his people. Number three, nothing from the world is of God or pleasing to God. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Notice what, God, notice what the Bible says. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, the love of the Father, you don't you can't love the Father and love the world. You, you got to decide. He says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16. For all, see that word all there? Now, we're not Calvinists well, all, all doesn't really mean all. Okay, is that word all? For all that is in the world. Is there anything left out of that? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, notice what it says, is not of the Father. Okay, is there anything that's in the world that came from God, according to this verse? No. For all that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world. And if you love anything in the world, then you don't have the love of the Father. So we're applying these principles to music. Music is spiritual. Whether good or bad, it's all spiritual. God inhabits the praises of His music. He's so involved in music that He inhabits you. And when you sing praises, you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and you sing praises, you direct praises to God, and He inhabits those things. And then the Bible tells us that nothing from the world is of God or pleasing to God. So, what makes us think that we can then take the world's music and use that to worship God? You understand what I just said? Contemporary Christian music. Music of the modern day that is used to worship God is strange Fire. It's not pleasing to God. God did not provide it. God did not command it. God does not respect it. God, Look, for us to get this idea, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Christians today, I mean, do you know that there's any genre of worldly music out there, you can find a Christian version of it? Uh, I'll, you know, before I was saved, I listened to uh, country western music. You must have been real depressed. I don't know why you would listen to that. My dog died. My wife left me. But, you know, you can find that same music, just something about Jesus added to it. I mean, they've got stupidity out there. I mean, I mean, Christian rap? I, I can't even imagine something more stupid. Christian rap? Okay. Uh, is Snoop Dogg part of the world? I think he is. Is Tupac part of the world? But here's what Christian hip-hop artists, they're like, let's go act like them. Get their music, get their ideas, get their clothing, get their you know, beats and their style, and let's just make it about Jesus, and they think that's acceptable to God. No, that's strange fire. When we take the world's rock and roll music and we add Jesus to it, that's strange fire. When we take the world's country western music and add Jesus to it, that's strange fire. God is not pleased with anything that's from the world. He says, look, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all of it, none of it is from the Father. It's from the world. So when people come here and they say, oh, your guys' music is so different, we're like, praise God. Because it came from somewhere else. How can God be pleased? How can God be pleased with music? From when we take the world's music and then we were direct that towards God. You know what that is? That's strange fire. You didn't get that fire from God. You got it from somewhere else. You took it from another source. And God says, that's foreign, that's strange. I don't respect that, and I don't want that. Go back to Leviticus chapter 10, where we started. Let me just show you one last thing, and we'll finish up. Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. You know, we focus, we focus on the fact that God killed Nadab and Abihu, And that's definitely the climax of the story. Whenever, you know, whenever God drops dead anybody, it's kind of the climax of the story. But here's what's interesting, and here's what I don't think we we really grasp sometimes. If you look at, if you go back to Leviticus 9.24, just real quickly, the Bible says, And there came a fire out from before the Lord, and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering And the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Remember in Leviticus 924, God was not killing anybody. He was just providing fire that might be used, that might be used for the service of the tabernacle, for the incense, for those things. What's interesting is that in Leviticus 10:1, the Bible says, And Adab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their uh, took either of them his censor and put fire thereon and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, fire that God did not provide and fire that God did not command, which he commanded them not. And notice the wording here. Notice how it's similar to what we read in Leviticus 9.24. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. The Bible says there went out fire from the Lord. Leviticus 9.24 says there came a fire out from before the Lord. We like to highlight the fact, and I think we should, that God sent fire to kill Nadab and Abihu. But you know, honestly, I'm not necessarily sure that that was the primary thing that God was trying to accomplish. That's definitely something that God accomplished. You know what I think? I think God sent fire from heaven, Leviticus 9. Nadab and Abihu were supposed to keep the fire burning. They were supposed to keep the fire going. You can look at, in the Old Testament, they're given instructions that they're supposed to remove the ashes. They're supposed to replace the wood. They're supposed to make sure the fire keeps burning, that the fire never goes out. That fire is never supposed to go out. But they allowed it to go out. They allowed it to burn out. And then they bring strange fire. And God says, well, I guess I better light the fire again. He sends fire down, and in the process, they die. He's just reigniting his fire. You said, well, what's the lesson there? Here's the lesson. Be careful about bringing strange fire to the Lord. Whether it's a false gospel or contemporary music or corrupt Bible versions or whatever it is that you've decided that I will worship God in this way and you know that that's not, that didn't come from God. God did not provide it and God did not command it. Because God might just decide to go ahead and reignite the fire and might burn you in the process. He might say, well, there's a need there. This fire needs to get relit and you're just a casualty of his wrath. So we need to be careful because we like to think about this loving God, but we also have a just and holy God and he is within his rights, even in the New Testament when Christians choose to approach God with what he has not provided and with what he has not commanded to drop them dead. Let's bow our and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these stories. And Lord, help us to remember that you are not pleased with strange fire. And there's strange fire out there. And, and maybe there's more applications than, than I've thought about and more applications that could be made. But help us to be clear about the strange fire of counterfeit gospels, the strange fire of corrupt Bible versions, the strange fire of contemporary Christian music, Lord. Help us to make sure that we are always approaching you in spirit and in truth, that we are approaching you with that which you have provided and with that which you have commanded. Lord, help us to do our best to walk with you, to respect you, to love you, to honor you, to approach you in a holy and a sacred way. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.